everyone. We're glad to have everybody back in to listen. Uh, we got a great show planned today. A lot of news going on in the NHL between the draft lottery and all that happened there, the NHL draft prospects that we you know need to know, and a couple things with the playoffs going on. So without further ado, let's get started. Uh, so Parker, I guess you watched the draft lottery? Yeah, and I think it's really interesting and exciting for the New Jersey Devils to have the first overall pick for the second time in three years. If there's anything that the New Jersey Devils are, it is not interesting. Let's be quite honest here. I mean, like, they had they got Nico Heischer, uh first overall two years ago, which, I, I mean, that was still a questionable pick at the time because him and Nolan Patrick are sort of 1A, 1B. And now they get arguably the most exciting prospect since Austin Matthews and Jack Hughes, most likely, unless they're insane. And he's getting to go to play in New Jersey, which is notorious for boring hockey. Well, I mean, the only reason why Nico Heischer's boring is because he's a two-way player. And granted, he's been putting up more points than Nolan Patrick. Well, okay, but look at the deployment. Nolan Patrick's played, like, sheltered minutes in Philly. He played under Dave Haxtell, who's notoriously sort of a... He's like a Guy Boucher light. You know, he doesn't really play the trap, but he also doesn't play super over-the-top offense, which may have limited a guy like Patrick. So, I mean, with a new coach um, like Scott Gordon, he might be able to flourish, but I don't know if he could ever do that under Haxtell. Yeah, I noticed after uh, Haxtell got axed, uh, they started playing a lot of the younger guys. Like, uh, they're, they're these uh, two defensemen. Oh, yeah, uh, they had um, Sanheim. And there was uh, this other guy, like uh, Hag. Oh, Robert Haig. Robert yeah. Haig, yeah. yeah. And then there's, like, a third one, too. And all of them look really good. Well, not to mention, like... It seems like, like okay, the, the whole thing between like Ron Hextall when he was there as the GM was that he has this like war chest full of prospects. Like he, uh, German Rubstaff, Nolan Patrick, I think they have Vitaly Abramov as well. And not to mention they have like, you know, Konechny and all these guys on defense that we, you know, that we just talked about. They need to play somewhere, and it didn't seem like Hextall was exactly wanting that. So when it looks like when Gordon came in, they started playing guys. Like that. So let's just let, let, let's sort of explain this in a different way because it's like there's Hackstall, the coach, and Hextall, the, the GM, GM, who are both so fired. <laughs> who, which one was the one that was mainly responsible for sheltering the this uh, war chest of prospects? Well, okay, so it would definitely be Dave Hackstall, which would be the coach. Ron Hextall, the GM, obviously Flyers great Ron Hextall. He, you know, we took over, and I think it was like 2013, 2012. He came in as a GM. He did a phenomenal job retooling, keeping the team, you'd say, fairly competitive. You know, they always had a chance at the playoffs, Sands, for like one year. And, I, I mean, when Hackstall, the coach, took over, I think he used to coach at UND, he was thought of to be this, like, messiah as far as coaching goes. Like, he was the chosen one. They thought he was going to be the answer to all of Philly's problems, and it seems like all he did was implement his style, which benefited guys like Claude Giroux. But if you look at Wayne Simmons' production, too, it, it kind of hurt him a little bit with the way they played. So, I, I mean, I don't know. Yeah, but how much of that came down to just injuries, too? Because Wayne Simmons is a very physical hockey player, and eventually, like, with that kind of play over time, you just break down naturally. Well, and here's the thing. When you have a physical player like Wayne Simmons or even somebody along the lines of, like, Scott Hartnell, at, at, towards the end of his career, obviously, in Philly, too, he still played physical. He, they, like you said, bodies break down. Playing a physical grinding style of play that like the Flyers play on top of a two-way game that Hackstall wants to implement, 
that you're you're going to be gone by the halfway mark of the season. Take a team like Tampa, who doesn't play a very physical style. They have physical guys. And it shows. Right. And it shows whenever they play a physical team, they get outmatched. Right. But when you can score your way out of anything, that's okay. I genuinely believe that the Flyers with Claude Giroux, Wayne Simmons, Jakub Voracek, and, and like I said, the prospects that they have, they could have easily been a team that was highly offensive, especially with the guys on the back end. You're looking at Tampa Bay like light as well. Like They have a great up-and-coming defensive core, great offense. Yeah, and Ghost is like one of the best uh, underrated offensive, too offensive defenseman and, and he's like what 20 wait he's still only what like 23 24 yeah i mean he's still young and you look at a guy like the thing with philly i think this is what gets a lot of coaches fired is goaltending i wouldn't say it was dave hackstall's time per se right now i think it was coming but you look at that goaltending situation every year they got below league average goaltending which killed them oh, carter hart finally comes along and they made a competitive push like, now they have a team. Again, a- another sheltered prospect. Right. I don't know what... The, I mean, I understand them wanting to keep Carter Hart down after World Juniors two years ago when he was... He had that great game against USA, and he was just outmatched by... Um, uh, I can't think of the, the, the flame Tyler Parsons is the guy's name. He was a Calgary Flames goalie. Um, but... After that game, there was rumors that, you know, uh, I think there was a draft year for Carter Hart, too. And he couldn't really make an immediate impact in the NHL. He was still kind of small. He has to grow. He's like six foot four, So he had to grow into his body. Um, I think the Flyers maybe kept him down a little too long, especially with guys like Alex Lyon down there. Why are you running out Steve Mason and Michael Neuwirth and even Peter Mrazek for the short time he was there? Like, I just don't get it, you know? Yeah, it's really... For me, I find it very mind-boggling when it's like you have this one massive glaring hole on your roster, goaltender, and they just think the right way to go about it is by signing all these aging uh, middle-tier goaltenders rather than just, you know, I want to say taking a failed season, but just, like, bringing up your goaltending prospects like just, like, just to see what you have. And I mean, to your, to your point. Is it a failed season if your fans get excited about a prospect like they did with Carter Hart? I mean, the fans immediately bought into Hart Mania. And oh, rightly so. Now, was Carter Hart Jordan Bennington down the stretch? No. I mean, he, he had his rough patches. He had a few off games. But for the most part, Carter Hart had a sparkling season from when he was called up. That should be a place for pause for the fans to at least say, hey, you know, we may have tossed the season away. We were competitive on a season we weren't projected to be. Um, I mean, after the first point, uh, the halfway point anyways. And now they have something to believe in. They have their core, and they have prospects, and they have goaltending, finally. Like, look at what uh, the Tampa Bay Lightning did a couple years ago when they traded Ben Bishop at the... by the trade deadline, then they handed the reins off to Andre Vasilevsky. He lost, like... He he had this point where he lost, like, six, seven, eight games in a row, and still... The team eventually regrouped, recuperated, and almost made a push to the playoffs. And now look at the Lightning. Yeah, I mean, Granted, you can, sometimes you need to take like like a season just to see what your prospects could do, so that way they could grow into their roles. If you know you're not going to compete for a Stanley Cup, then why not? Exactly. Um, I mean, like you said, Vasilevsky is a good example. Matt Murray, another one when they traded Flurry. I mean, you could think of like right now, uh, Lundqvist and Gorgiev in New York. There's no point in holding on to something that's not working. Just give the keys to the younger generation. If it works, great. If it fails, you had a lost season anyways. Go to the draft board and go from there. But 
the, the moral of the story, looping back, is that the Flyers finally have goaltending. I don't even know how we got on the topic of the Flyers, quite honestly. But uh, it's, it's I mean, I don't like it because now we have to play them four times a season. <laughs> but, you know, at least the Flyers aren't a gong show like the Oilers, which is something I really wanted to talk about today. I know we're going to be talking a lot about the draft, but poor Conor McDavid. <laughs> it, th- this kind of reminds me of the Tampa Bay team where they had, like, Le Cavalier and San Louis and Steven Stamkos and Victor Hedman. And, like, like two of these guys had, like, 100-point seasons, and Steven Stamkos had, like, a 50-goal season, and they missed the playoffs. It, like, like, the Oilers have two. Not one. Two. Everyone thinks it's the Kyrie McDavid show, but no, it's the McDavid and Dreisaitl show. Both these guys had over 100 points and not even close to the playoffs. It and, blows my mind. And, okay, there, there and is... And it's, like... like uh, Oh, uh, like, this was Darnell Nurse's career year. Yeah, it, it really like, was. They had, they had, like, a bunch of, like, they had a bunch of players, like, like, uh, oh, 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 what's his name? Uh, I mean, even Clefbaum had a good year, you Cle- know? Clef, well, Clefbaum's always been pretty solid. But and then Nugent Hopkins had a great year, too. Uh, Chasen Alex Chason, had yeah, an awakening good. of a year, and they still missed the playoffs. Well, and, like, here's the thing. there There is analytical statistics to back up the fact that Leandre Settle plays on a higher tick when he's on the line with Connor McDavid, which does that really matter? No. I mean, okay, so if you make a 1-2-3 of McDavid, Dre Siddle, Nugent Hopkins, Dre Siddle's played drops. It's just backed up by statistics. And it's not that he's a bad player, it's just on his own, he's a number two center, he's not a number one. But I think you take a Leon Draisaitl number two center. I mean, I think of like Boston, how they have Patrice Bergeron and David Krejci. Is David Krejci comparable to Patrice Bergeron ever in his career? No, but he's absolutely a top six forward and a number two center. And if you don't want to do that, then leave them on line together. What's the problem? I don't see a problem playing McDavid and Draisaitl. You know, just turn Draisaitl into a wing. He's done well there. So. I mean, it just came out this morning, too. I saw McDavid does have a slight tear in his PCL. It will, it will not require surgery, so he'll be okay for the offseason. In fact, uh, our friend Gino of the show tweeted me a photo of Conor McDavid playing mini golf in a boot the other day. Oh, so, no. uh, at least it looks like he's up and walking. So, I mean, but the Oilers, the whole thing this offseason is finding a GM. Like, Conor McDavid has essentially said, I am disappointed. And the the rumor swirling is that he's going to give them like one more year. He's giving them one more year. His agent came out and basically said he's helping pick the new GM. And when they asked Connor about it, he said, it's, "I like I don't." Basically, he he said in nice terms, "That's not my job. My job is to play hockey." But you can read that as this shouldn't be my job, but it is now because my owner's incompetent. Bob Nicholson has no idea what he's doing there. And if Connor helps pick the GM, which it sounds like he is. They'll be okay. But right now, Keith Gretzky is the supposed guy with the in, in in track in there. And, I mean, what are you doing if you're keeping a Gretzky name there? Keith Gretzky's been there for years. Like, I, it's just... It, it rinse, repeat. That's what I've been thinking is. Yeah, they definitely need to inject some people that are outside the organization there. Because, like you said, it's the... What is the Old Boys Club? Or? The, yeah, the, they, they call it the, the Red Wine Club. Yeah, it's like... Look, like if it's like year in and year out that you're making really bad uh, personnel decisions with your uh, hockey roster, then it's not just the GM at that point. It's the entire front office. Exactly. And look, 
if this team manages to piss off Kyrie McDavid enough to where he doesn't want to be on the team anymore, then that's that's disgusting. That's like how can you allow it to get like that? You're turning Gretzky twice, essentially. You know what I mean? Like, and I mean, it, it can be done. It can be done with any dysfunctional organization. I mean, Leafs fans, I'm sorry, but before 2015, you were a mess for 30 years. I mean, look at the I mean, Cleveland Browns, too. I know a different sport, but I mean, they uh, actually well, look yeah. somewhat competent now. Yeah, I mean, it goes to show you, like, the, I mean, if you have good ownership come in and you actually let them take the reins, like, the Leafs were known as the Muskoka Five for a while because it was all guys from back in the day that ran that team. Now, they, they broke away from that. Brendan Shanahan came in. Mike Babcock came in. You inject a new culture in there. And even if it's the same thinking, as long as it's a new perspective, like, you need push and pull. That's the whole thing. Like, the whole thing between Dubas and Babcock fighting in Toronto, the Leafs fans seem to understand that, yes, this is good. We want somebody who doesn't think the same way so we don't repeat our past four decades of losing. You know what I mean? And the, the same thing happens for the Oilers. If they break tradition, they'll be okay. I mean, that's kind of the issue with having a front office filled with a bunch of former hockey legends mm-hmm. is that not all of them are going to know how to manage personnel. Not all of them are going to be good at, like, analyzing the draft. Exactly. I mean, Wayne Gretzky has a losing coaching record. He's not a good coach, period. Like, great player, terrible coach. Being good at a sport does not equal being a good management or coach. I mean, it's usually the opposite. The best players usually don't make very good coaches or ownership even. Well, because like a lot of it, like with the best players, is that th- they just have like an innate ability to play whatever position it is that they excel at. It's like you can't coach that. Like literally, I feel like the way that they coach is like, oh, I just, I, I could just do this because I've just been doing it forever. Like it's just to a point where they can't explain it. Right. That that's a good point. There was an article a while ago. I don't remember who it was, but it was basically saying, I, it was a it was like a. Hall of Fame player or legendary player talking about how the transition to management was difficult because he was trying to tell his players just do this because he can't explain it any other way. It's just how he did it and he succeeded because it's, it's, his, it's his ability. I mean, if you take somebody like Connor McDavid and tell him to play one way, okay, he's going to score 100 points. If you tell somebody like Sam Gagne to do the same thing, he's going to get like 30. It's just not in the same cards. That, that all comes down to coaching. So Yeah, like look at... Uh like quarterbacks for Sam, like we always talk about how there's some guys that have natural arms, like natural cannon arms, like a like a Dan Reno arm, or like a Matt Stafford, Jay Cutler, something like that. Yeah, it's grip and how do you coach that? Like there are some players, like uh, I'm trying to think, the one guy who used, who was the Browns quarterback for a little bit. Uh, he w- he played at USC. Not Jamarcus Russell, right? Uh, no, not 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 Jamarcus Russell, but it's like or. Mm, let's use it. Okay, let's use like I don't know Alex Smith as an example. Right. Alex Smith does not have a cannon arm. You can't coach him to have a cannon arm. Right. What you'd be telling him is, oh, throw the ball harder. Well, okay, how do you do that? It's like one of those kind of things. Yeah, I mean, and even to a more simple sense, like it's like if you're trying to teach a first line forward how to be a grinder or vice versa, it's just it's not going to happen. Like it's, it's, it's very simple. I mean, good coaches could make it happen. Like Steven Stamkos transitioned from a pure goal scorer to an all-around center. Well, and that's the thing, though. Good coaches don't make you play a certain way. They add things to your repertoire. You have a tool belt. They're not trying to completely replace your tools. They're adding more. Same thing with Nikita Kucherov. He's naturally a sniper, but he's also developed the ability to be equally as good at passing. I'd like to toss one little fun fact out about Nikita Kucherov that I heard the other day. Did you know that he finished with the same amount of points as his team did? The Lightning finished with 120, 128 points. He had the same amount of points as the Lightning did. That's insane. 
I didn't even notice that. Uh, I just that, wanted to hilarious. see if you saw that, yeah. That, that's amazing. Um, but uh, to get to some of the meat of our show, I did want to talk a little bit about the draft lottery first. Um, did you watch the draft lottery? I did not, but I saw the results, and I found it very interesting. So there was a couple moving pieces. Uh, the first one was, so Minnesota ended up with the 12th pick, uh, meaning that Chicago moved into the top three. I couldn't tell you who they knocked out. But I, I assume it's Minnesota. But that was the first big piece, which, of course, Chicago looks into a top three pick in a very good draft. Um, are you shocked? <laughs> I mean, I think it's interesting that uh, Chicago was, like, barely missed the playoffs. Now they have a top three pick. That's the lottery for you. I mean, another one that happened was uh, the Rangers ended up moving into the top three. Uh, Buffalo kind of got the, you know, the the rough end of the stick there because they were supposed to pick again. You look at a team that fell from grace. Buffalo could have really used another good player. Yeah, and people were trying to say, "Oh, Phil Housley can win Coach of the Year," and he got fired. Yeah, I mean, and I mean, you can't really blame all that on Housley. That just that there's something wrong there. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's the GM, but and, and of course the last team that moved was, uh, I'm trying to find, I think it was Colorado ended up moving out of the top three uh, with Ottawa's pick. I don't know what happened yeah, to Colorado. Yeah, um, Ottawa kind of locked out there because uh, Col- Colorado has the fourth pick. Now, remember, this was the same draft pick that uh, they traded for Ottawa Duchesne. traded for Duchesne, yeah. and then Duchesne got traded to the Blue Jackets. Which, we're not even going to talk about that today. There's just not enough time to talk about Edmonton and Ottawa. They're just both it's like I mean Awful. Ottawa really locked out there because it was really like uh like the reason why they held on to their pick last year was so that they could get uh Oh Brady Kachuk. Kachuk. Yeah. Which at the time seemed like a dumb move. I mean Brady Kachuk's a great player. He's not Jack Hughes, just simple. Right, but they weren't guaranteed to get Jack Hughes. Yeah. So it's like in this in this universe, anyways, they locked out. I'm sure in some oh, other universe yeah. they it blew up in their face. Listen, if all I'm going to say is if lucky out is the draft pick you traded for a center you no longer have is only the fourth overall pick, you, you probably messed up somewhere down the line. <laughs> like, I don't know what else there is to say about that. It's just not smart trading. But in that sense, yes, Colorado does obviously kind of get the shaft there. But um, the, the who's at the I range? Mean, I mean, they didn't really have anything to lose, though. True. I mean, they played with house money, so... Yeah, and they're still going to be getting a, another pick in the next yeah. 16. Yeah, and I mean, like, there's some. this is a great draft. This is a draft that people, like, draft nuts like myself have been looking forward to for years. I mean, like, the 16 draft was disappointing. The 17 draft was okay, but this is the draft, like, that we've been waiting for. And I mean, there's guys like Jack Hughes, Capo Caco, Cam York, um... I mean, the list goes on. Spencer Knight's a really big name here. Yeah, that, that's a big one that I've been hearing about. He's, like, the goalie of the future for the USA, probably. Um, I mean, I could go on and on with the names, but, like, there's, there's a couple names we're going to go over shortly just to kind of give everybody a perspective on it. But right now, the top three looks as it's going to fall. It's the Devils, uh, who's at the Rangers, and the Hawks, right? Yeah. So, by all accounts, if people draft smart, we're looking at, I mean, potentially a new Devils dynasty. What do you think? Yeah, um, I remember Ben the other day. He was saying how they're going to have the Triple H line <laughs> of, uh, <laughs> of uh, Hughes, uh, Hall, and Heesher. That would be pretty wild. I'm not going to lie to you. That would be pretty wild. Uh, I just pulled up the draft rankings here. So by all accounts, if we're going off of the top three, um, Jack Hughes will obviously be the first overall pick. 
I know Cabo Caco has moved into the top two. If I mean, people said he could move into top one. We always have that same dumb argument. He'll be number two. The falloff, though, is number three. This is probably the most divided I've ever seen draft experts on a number three pick. A lot of people believe that Alex Turcott could be a really good player. Um, another one is uh, Bowen Biram. He's a defenseman, I believe. Uh, and the other one that seems to keep slipping in there, he is... I'm trying to find his name here. He, he's a Russian player who kind of just snuck up on everybody. I don't know how he... Uh, even Pod, Pod Colson? Yeah, yeah, Pod, 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 yeah, him. Vasily Podkolzin? I'm looking Vasily at right now. Pol- I'm, tra- I'm trying Polskin. to pronounce it. I'm sorry. Polskin. You're, you're good because you got it before I could. Yeah, he, he wasn't even in the central scouting that I saw for the first half. What, what, whatever happened to Kirby Dak? Kirby Dak is the second-ranked U.S. Uh, North American skater. Yeah, here it is. Vasily Podolskin or whatever. He, um, he's supposed to be really good. There's a couple of really good players. Like, I saw – I said Cam York. He's my favorite player in this draft, aside from Jack Yeah, he's, he's not even showing up on this. Who's that? Uh, Cam York. Cam York, he's a North American skater. He's uh, currently ranked – they have him number 12 out of North American, so he'll probably be like a top-20 pick. Um, there's a lot of belief that he can be like a, I won't say Seth Jones player, but like similar to that, you know, similar to like an internet blood Seth Jones, like a game changing defenseman on the back end. It really depends on what you're looking at, honestly. Um, uh, the really fascinating thing to me is the Rangers had such a good year, and I mean they didn't finish very well, but they have somebody who can inherit the goaltending increase from Andrew Lundqvist and Alexander Gorgiev. They also have a goalie in the backup. In really, Russia. is Gorgiev that good? He hasn't given them any reason to doubt him. Now, is he a top-end starter? No, he's not going to be like Lundqvist, but he's got a very, like, Martin Jones vibe, like somebody who can sort of grow into, a, like, a, a, a top goal, not a top, you know, a top 30 goalie. But they also have, I want to say it's um, Solskin and uh, Sorokin, maybe? They have a, a, a goaltending prospect in the KHL. Yeah, uh, one prospect that I'm looking forward to is... Um well, actually, there's two of them I'm looking forward to. One is Montembault with uh, the Florida with the Panthers. Florida Panthers. I remember you told me about him before, and I've been keeping a close eye on him. They gave him a few starts at the end of the year, and he did pretty decent. And the other one is uh, the guy from uh, Ottawa. Oh, um, the one that we traded. Yeah. Uh, oh, what is his name? It's slipping. He's Swedish. Um. All I, all I remember is that he's Swedish. That's a sad thing. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to keep an eye on him. Sad? He's supposed to be good. That's, that's, that's a little sad, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, listen, the goaltending prospects that are coming through right now, like, okay, so Sorokin, I messed up, by the way. He's at our New York team. He's the Islanders. Sorry, Gino. Uh, Sorokin's supposed to be really good. There's a goaltender for the uh, Washington Capitals who's going to push Holtby very, very soon. Um, uh, I think it's Ilya Samsonov. He's really good. There's a lot of goaltending prospects coming up. Like Spencer Knight, though, you want to talk about a bona fide, like, he has the same draft type, if not more, that, that Jake Ottinger had. If you remember Jake Ottinger, uh, it was two years ago. He got drafted by the Dallas Stars. The Dallas Stars. Oh, know, now I remember him. They, okay. they seem to always take a chance on goaltending prospects because they also famously took Jack Campbell, if you remember Jack Campbell, when he was supposed to be the, the next one in the crease. So we'll see. I mean, the draft this year, very good, though. Yeah, I'm looking at some of the European goalies. What about uh, Peter Kachetkov? I want to say he played in the KHL this year. I don't remember what team. 
Um, that's the thing is that like a lot of these, the European goalies are really hard to grade because the KHL competition falls off. Like the place that you want to look for goaltending is Sweden because the Swedish men's league is just, it's the closest you can get to pro without playing in the NHL or like the AHL because it's just so physical. There's just so much, the talent is just so much more spread out and even. Like in the KHL, you've got like two teams and they're the oil giants, Seaska and, um, uh, I think it's Dynamo. They're both like really good, but the point is, judging goaltending over there is like taking a dart, and throwing it at the wall blindfolded. Like you're just guessing at that point. There are some really good prospects this year, though. Um, I don't. I mean, with the hope that my pick will be 31st, I doubt it will be. But I mean, Parker, you're kind of in the same boat with the Lightning. Is there anybody you see towards the end of the draft that you're hoping the Lightning can snag in the first round? Uh... I, I've never really been the strongest with prospects, so right. I really can't uh, give an opinion. I would like to have maybe a. This is gonna sound weird, but maybe a goaltending one. Wouldn't be a bad idea. I mean, because here's the thing: how are you gonna pay Vasilevsky in a few years? You know, somebody's gotta go. Then he already did. He get a contract? I'm pretty sure he already did. I'm a, I'm a, I might be wrong. It's possible. Uh, there's been a lot of things happening in the NHL. Because um, I'm gonna be honest, I don't really. I don't think Domingue is that good. He had a, like... I mean, I, I remember with the Coyotes, he had, like, a stint where he was, like, really good. But it's like he kind of, like... He's very streaky. He had, like, a 9-0-1 save percentage this season, and he had, like, 20 wins. He was by far the... He had, like, a, almost a 4 GAA, which is not very good. And he just... He got wins because he played for the Lightning. Like, I'm pretty sure if you stuck a rec league goalie on the Lightning, he'd get 20 wins. I mean, no offense to Louis Domingue. He's, he's an NHL goalie, but uh, it's yeah, just he, tough to say. Uh, Domingue had uh, 21 wins, 5 losses, a 908 save percentage, and 288 goals against average. 288, yeah, so it's like a so 3. It's like... Uh, kind of like, like that's just below sl- league minimum, though. <laughs> that's, that's not league average, I'll tell you that much. Um, I look at a team like the San Jose Sharks, and if I had to pick, like, I usually have the team I feature as my one to watch for the draft, and we'll talk about this more at the awards show in June, um, but San Jose Sharks strike me as a team that need goaltending. Martin Jones had a historically bad season in net. He is a below 900 state percentage goalie. He is a, I don't know what his GA is, his GA is not astronomical, but GA is not a telling stat. Save percentage is. Like, save percentage is completely based on goaltending. So you can pretty much look at a goaltender who has a 4 GAA but has, like, a 980 and say, okay, well, he's a good goaltender. He just doesn't have good defense. But if a guy with, like, less than 900 save percentage, it's just not possible. It, the funny thing is that Martin Jones has six more wins than he did last year right? three less losses. But how much of that was the team around him? Spoiler well, alert, everything. Supposedly, like, the defense was a little more lackluster. Yeah, yeah, okay. I'm sure it was real tough having Eric Carlson and uh, Brent Burns on your and defense And Now, here's my problem with the Sharks, and here's why I think they're the team to watch, for all the wrong reasons. Marco Vlasic signed till 23-24 at, like, I want to say $8 million. Isn't he, like, 33 he right now? He is 35. He'll be 35. What? He'll be playing there until he's 42. Brent Burns, same deal, one year younger. Well, we all well. Brent Burns doesn't age, so I mean that's not terribly bad. The youngest defenseman on the decor is Eric Carlson, and he's twenty. He'll be twenty eight, twenty nine. So 
that's not a very like I look at that team. Joe Thornton obviously isn't going to be there much longer. He's taking short term deals. That's fine. Pavelski, thirty four. He's there till like he's forty. Um, Couture, who is now thirty, he'll be there till he's thirty something. It's it's a really old. So team. are you telling me that this team is going to end up like how the Ducks and Kings are right now? Having, a, having like their whole core locked up until they're in their late 30s? The Pacific Division, for as good as it was for the past three years prior to the season, they were good until they got old. And when they got old, they all got old together. That division is going to be awful. It's going to be what the Central was for a couple seasons because they're just all terrible. But the Sharks, they've got a little bit more longevity. they got a little bit more youth. If they can do something, maybe I don't think they re-sign Eric Carlson. I mean, I mean, they still have hurdle. They have uh, that uh, that that is there that one defense? No, not defense. No, there's like a couple other forwards they have that are pretty young. They have like Timo Meyer. Oh, oh, yeah, Meyer. That's what I was thinking of. Yeah, I mean, they have guys. That's not the problem. The problem is how do you get rid of these contracts? If you're paying Vlasic and Burns alone, you're paying them. Well, let's just split the difference. Call it twenty million for two older defensemen. Not only do you have to find a way in a few years to either move them or play them if they're still playable, but if you can't, then do you buy them out and have that on your books? Like, that's a really rough situation. I would, uh, I would try doing trades while they're still good. I, that's what I'm saying. I think like, if they don't win the cup this year, I would seriously consider it because this is going to be the point where it's like the window will start closing. If you can't win this year with Brent Burns and Eric Carlson, who are not only two of the best defensemen in the league, but two of the best offensive defensemen in the league. So it's like when you have them on the ice, you have five forwards on the ice. Basically. If you can't win this year, then just start selling and trying to retool for next couple of years. I think Carlson is not a shark long term. I don't believe he signed. I'm pretty sure he's still an FA coming in. Um, if he is still an FA you need to trade him at the draft if you can get anything for him. I don't care if it's the fourth, if it's the second. I don't care what it is. You're not going to get full value back from him. Your full value is trying to win a Stanley Cup. That's your full value. If you can't capitalize on it, it's your own fault. But Carlson has got to be moved. Otherwise, you are going to have three Albatross contracts in less than two years. So, I mean, there's no, there's nothing else to say. It's just Because the, the fact that matters is that if they don't if they don't realize this problem now and try to fix it now... They're going to end up like the Los Angeles Kings. Yeah. And even then, they started selling guys at the deadline. They, did, they traded Jake Muzzin. Oh, yeah. I mean, like, again, the Sharks are doing all the wrong things. If they don't win, now, if they win this year, this is a fruitless, pointless conversation. Obviously, you got to take some chances. Look at the Jackets. You've got to throw some darts and hope they hit. Another one that's really startling to me is Evander Kane. Like, okay, he's a good player. Is he a $7 million player? No. Nope. I don't think so. He's. Off the ice issues, which are numerous, don't seem to outnumber his value on the ice. He's a he's a good like fifty, maybe even sixty point guy. He can score you thirty goals, but and here's the big but: he's not a seven million dollar guy. Maybe in the cap era he is, but in, in like realistic terms, he's not. He's just he's a top six forward, and you could easily replace him with somebody younger. You know, uh the Sharks, to come full circle again, are just... That's my team to focus on. Watching them this year is going to be really interesting. That's why I'm kind of hoping they do do some good things in the playoffs, because if they don't, it's going to be sad. Um, I know we got to wrap the show pretty soon, but I wanted to get to one more thing today, and that was our playoff predictions. Did you end up doing a bracket at all? Yep. Okay, so uh, I'm going to have you pull up the bracket, as well as I'm going to pull up mine. 
All right. So in the East, I had Tampa over Blue Jackets, Boston over Toronto. I had the Capitals over the uh, Carolina, Carolina, and I had the Islanders over Pittsburgh. Okay. So in, in my in here's my East. I had um, Tampa over the Blue Jackets, Leafs over Boston. Carolina over the Caps and the Pens over the Islanders. Uh, is there any like series that you see in the East being like the series to watch? Uh, the easy one would be Boston and Toronto, sure. but I think right now the one to watch would be Tampa and Columbus. This was a series coming in, and all I kept reading was, "Oh, Tampa's going to sweep them. Tampa's going to beat them in five games. Oh, this is going to be a joke." I feel like I'm the only person on the planet that was genuinely terrified of the Blue Jackets. Here's why. They won. At the end of the regular season, they won, like, seven out of their last eight games. In Sergei Bobrovsky's last four starts, he had three shutouts. Um, everything was clicking. Going to the playoffs, Tampa punches them in the mouth. What does Columbus do? Drop kicks them. Two straight games. <laughs> I mean, like, here's the thing. Tampa has been... They've been good down the stretch. Like in the, towards the like the last month, they were fine. They were like ten and three in their last thirteen. The Blue Jackets have been playing playoff hockey for over a month. They had to claw their way in in a very tight division. So they've been playing this kind of we lose, we go home attitude for over thirty days. Not only that, but they traded their entire future for like three guys. Oh yeah, remember. I mean, they, uh, they got uh, uh, the, the the big cheese was uh, Duchesne, Duchesne and from Dezingle. Ottawa, yeah, Zingle, and they also got. Uh, 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 I forget his name. He's a defenseman uh, from Boston, I think. Uh, oh, uh, Adam McQuaid, right? It was McQuaid. And the thing with McQuaid is that he's a very physical defenseman. Now, what kind of teams does Tampa struggle against? Physical. Physical teams that could score. Guess what Columbus is? A, a physical, physical team, team that, that could, could score. score. With good goaltending. Correct. Um, uh, no, I'll tell you what. My, my series to watch is the uh, Bruins and Leafs. And I'll tell you why. It's very simple. Uh, it was four to one. Sorry, Penny. The Leafs have this like this boogeyman mentality with the Bruins, like they're, they're the big bad Bruins. But they look at them like they're the Bruins from 2011, not like the Bruins now. Like the Bruins this season limped in the playoffs. Like I think they finished with the top seed ish. Yeah, they were number two in the East. But like, let's be honest here. This is a team that a month ago. Came out publicly and had David Backus acknowledge he's now an enforcer. Like, they need help. Like, they need physical help. They don't have Adam McQuaid anymore. CC Columbus. They David Backus is now their tough guy. Jake DeBrusque, who is a scorer, has to play physical. And Brad Marchand, for as much of a rat as he is, he, that's just what he is. He's just a pest. He's not a tough guy. Like, the big bad Bruins are now a mediocre scoring team with Tuka Rask, who is always, like, rolling the dice. But the dice are on fire, and everything else is on fire. That's Tukarask in a nutshell. So that's my series to watch. Um, how about your West picks? What, who do you have in the West? Um, I have Carolina. Oh, no. What? Oh, yeah, do you? Calgary. <laughs> Excuse me. I have Calgary. Um, I have Vegas. I have the Predators, and I have the Jets. Okay, I'll give you mine. I have uh, the Flames, the Golden Knights, the Preds, and the Blues. Uh, who's your series to watch here? Uh, I'd keep an eye out on the Dallas Stars one. Okay. This is this was the series I had the hardest amount of time picking because the Dallas Stars have the best playoff goalie in that the playoffs is true. right now. Ben, ben Bishop. Bishop. Ben Bishop 
every single game, like most, well, yeah, well, just about every game seven, he's had a shutout. Didn't he have like three shutouts leading up to the playoffs too? He had like, right before he, it. He, like, he almost led the league in shutouts, I think. Like, what, how, like and how? he had a bunch by the end of the season too. Like he, like Ben Bishop plays his best hockey in the playoffs, and like when he was with Tampa, he was the reason why Tampa would just slam the door shut on teams because like in game clinchers, he would just play phenomenal. Yeah. I hear you. And I think uh, if Dallas is able to get to the point where they're able to close out a series, I think they could do it very quickly. I don't disagree. Because Dallas used to be the team where they had all offense, no defense. Now they have all defense, no offense. But they still have the same offensive players. So once that starts to click, they're going to be good. I think looking at that series, I think you're right. Um Personally, I think the Preds are going to pull it off, but it's really hinged on if Wayne Simmons can get it going. He had three points in 20 games when he came to the Preds. That is not very good. I mean, like, that back end is good, but it's injury-prone, so you got to watch out for that, too. My personal series to watch here, maybe not for the same reasons, is Calgary-Colorado. I just think it's going to be fun to watch Colorado get laughed off of home ice because they're not going to get through four games. They're going to get swept. It's just my personal belief. I think Calgary is a much better team, and if they get an iota of goaltending, if they have a fan come down from the stands and play goalie for them, they will win. They're a good offensive team. They have the best defensive core in the West. Don't at me. And Colorado has one line and zero goaltending. Here's the thing with the Flames. Uh, for all the roasting that Mike Smith went to, he had a shutout game one. He sure did, didn't and he? And he is probably the second-best playoff goaltender in the playoffs right now. He has a playoff thing of, like, what, like 937? Like when Arizona obscene. made it in 2011 or whatever it was, he was good. I mean, like, Mike Smith, you just never know which one you're going to get on a different day. But also, yeah, but, but up until he got to Calgary, he was always known as a goaltender that would have an obscene safe percentage, but, the t- but uh, he wouldn't yeah. get wins because the team sucked. He's a guy that's got to face shots, and... The Flames, to me, have everything. Like I just said, like I think they're the best decor in the West. They have a great offense. Johnny Gaudreau might be a top three player in this league. I mean, that goaltending is serviceable. The Avalanche have the exact same team on paper. Terrible goaltending, a decent defense, but they have one line on offense. They have one line. You can't win like that. And I just personally, I think... Uh, Jared Bednar's out coached here. I honestly could. I think it's. Is it even still Glenn Gulitson in Calgary? I don't think it is. Bill no, Peters? it's. Uh, yeah, Peters. Bill, Bill Peters. Yeah, because he was. He was the Carolina. Carolina. Yeah, it's him. Which I've always liked. Bill Peters. I thought he was a good like coach that plays both ends of the old boys and new boys. I think he'll be okay. Um, with that said, uh, so your second round matchup for the East and West, if you can just you know. Uh, so, I the light. Wait, like. Like, yeah, like, so, like, like the finals? So yeah, who, like, so who, like the finals? Is that what you mean? Well, no. So who's your you know, second round? Well, my second round, I have Tampa and Boston, and I have the Capitals, Islanders, and then Flames, uh, Knights, and Predators and Jets. Okay. Uh, who do you have coming out of that for the final four? Uh, Tampa, Washington, Calgary, and Winnipeg. Okay. Now, hold on, because I want us to kind of push all our chips all in for the Stanley Cup, so I'll give you mine. Um, for my West, I have the Flames... And uh, the Knights, and then I have the Preds, Blues, and I have the Preds and Knights coming out of that. And in the East, I've got Tampa, Toronto, Pittsburgh, and Carolina, and then I've got Pittsburgh and Tampa coming out of that. Um, now, the Stanley Cup Final, who do you have and why? Uh, Tampa and Calgary and Tampa wins. It's kind of like 2003, 2004 all over again. You think so? Yep. I mean, they have what it takes. I think that, that'd be a really fun series to watch. You want to talk about offense, but... How often does the two best teams in the league get to the finals together? You know what I mean? 
mm, I, I guess not, we'll not often. I have a matchup of the 2016 playoffs again. I have the Preds and Penguins going at it. I have the Penguins winning because I'm a homer. Sorry. Uh, the, pe- <laughs> the, the Penguins really just have one line, too. Yeah. Well, they don't even have one line. They have four players. They have four, they, they, they have four good players on offense, and, they, and then they have Chris Letang. <laughs> so, uh, but with that, I want to thank everyone for tuning in. Thank you all for tuning in and listening to our very hot takes. They're going to be wrong as of tonight. So um, we'll be back a couple weeks from now, I believe, with uh, some more guests. But once again, thanks for tuning in. Thank you all for listening, and we'll see you next time.